Welcome to Ipsa Dixit, a podcast on legal scholarship. I'm your host, Brian O'Fry, Spears Gilbert Professor of Law at the University of Kentucky College of Law. My guest is Christine Abley, fellow at New England Law Boston and a licensed customs broker. We will discuss her article, E-Commerce Transactions and Country of Oregon Origin Marking for Imported Products, A Gap Between Statutory Purpose and Legal Requirement, which is published in the Virginia Journal of International Law. So welcome to the show, Christine. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm excited to be here. Pleasure's all mine. I'm really glad you reached out about this uh, really timely article. But before we talk about the article itself, I got a question I want you to answer for me, which is, what is a licensed customs broker. <laughs> yeah, so licensed customs brokers are those who transact customs business. They're licensed by the U.S. Customs and Border Protection in the Department of Homeland Security. So there's an exam you have to take. They offer it, I think it's about a few times a year, twice a year. And there's an exam, you have to study the regulations and pass it, and then you get sworn in. So what do you do exactly? as a customs broker? So uh, I became a customs broker because I was working at a customs law firm. So the purpose of me getting it was to really demonstrate my knowledge of the customs regulations. For those who work in a brokerage firm and take a more active role in transacting customs business, uh, what they do are they they review the the imports coming in. They make sure that all the paperwork is accurate and complete. Uh, they review things like classification, valuation, uh, and make sure the appropriate uh, data are being reported to customs. Okay. So this makes a lot of sense given the subject matter of, of this particular paper, which is about telling consumers where products come from. What's the law around that? What's the history of the law around that? And how long and why have we been telling companies that they have to tell consumers about the source of origin of products? Yeah, so this is actually a really old requirement. It comes from the Tariff Act of 1890. And this was not unique to the United States. Around the same time, a number of European countries also passed similar legislation. Uh, so the main idea with this is that uh, when a customer is in a store and they see a product on a, a shelf, if it's an imported product, the idea is they're able to take the product and either look at the product itself or look at its exterior packaging, uh, read the information and be able to tell where this product came from. Uh, so there's a whole set of rules of origin and how you figure out where a product came from. Um, and we can talk some more about those. Uh, but the idea is that the item itself contains this information. So you'll note a lot of times it can be sometimes die cast in or even printed directly on an item. It really has to be legible. Um, it has to be permanent. Uh, it has to be indelible. Uh, so this ultimate purchaser is able to tell where it comes from. And in most cases, that ultimate purchaser is just going to be a retail consumer shopping in a store. Uh, there are some items that physically can't have uh, a marking printed on them. 
uh, things like, for example, eggs or uh, oil <laughs> in a barrel. Uh, but for things like that, uh, Customs says, well, you don't have to mark the item itself, but what you do have to mark is the exterior packaging. And then there are also some sort, some sorts of items that could be marked, but Customs says you don't have to mark like items that are over 20 years old at the time of importation or works of art. Customs is not going to make you physically stamp those, but again, you do have to go ahead and mark the, the exterior packaging. So the customer is able to get this information about where the product comes from. And that's really the motivating purpose behind this legislation. Uh, and it was articulated at the time, and it's been reiterated in court cases um, and customs rulings ever since then, is that the purpose of having these marketing requirements is to really affect the purchasing decisions of the consumer to empower them with this information so that if they so choose, they can use this information, to decide whether or not to buy this product or perhaps buy a different product. Um, and some of the relevant things they might think about are, okay, is this product made in the United States or is it imported? But the idea is also that even if a product, one product or another is, or two products are both imported, uh, that the customer is empowered to make the decision to buy a good of one foreign country as opposed to another. So reading your paper, I got the impression that like in the early days of this kind of point of origin designation, there was at least a certain amount of trademarky type people engaging in subterfuge to misrepresent the source of the product kind of thing going on. But it seems like now the rationale is more kind of a consumer protection oriented project. Is, is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I think so. So the paper talks a little bit about um, how the uh, then he was the chairman of the Ways and Means Committee, and then later he became president. Um, McKinley uh, talked about why this legislation was introduced, and he talked about really how foreign countries would would be importing these products and passing them off as American-made products, and so the consumer who might have wanted to buy American was not able to do so. And the point of having these country of origin markings was to allow the consumer to make that sort of informed decision. So the idea is that, right, the consumer can use this information to buy American and won't be confused about whether or not it's counterfeit or not, or whether or not these brands are passing themselves off as American brands. But again, there is this other purpose, and I would agree with you, there is this other purpose that uh, the consumer now has the ability to take this information, the consumer's empowered. It's not just about the consumer being misled or not, it's about the consumer being provided this information so they can decide whether or not to factor it into their purchasing decisions. So is there evidence that that information about country of origin is salient to consumers? Yeah, so there is. They've actually been doing studies for about 50 years now about how country of origin information uh, affects consumer purchasing decisions. So it started off with these single queue studies where they just the only information given to study participants was country of origin information. 
Uh, and so in those settings, it was important. Um, those studies may inflate the importance of country of origin information. But since then, there have also been these multi-queue studies where uh, more information is given to study participants. And there still is this effect um, that consumer behavior is influenced by country of origin. Um, and so country of origin can infect consumer perceptions about products in general, about specific types of products, about specific types of brands. Consumers might draw conclusions about product quality or brand image. Um, and then consumers can also use this information uh, to base purchasing decisions on things like whether they want to support the domestic economy, whether they have particular human rights concerns about certain areas, um, whether or not they want to support certain governments or not. Uh, and all these things go into the consumer purchasing decision and can really affect consumer purchases. So when consumers make these decisions about purchasing based on, on country of origin, I mean, to what extent do we care why they're making those decisions? Are there good reasons or bad reasons for them to make purchasing decisions on those grounds? And is it really in a, any of kind of the public's business or the government's business, sort of why people care about where something came from? Right. Yeah. So there, I agree with you that I, I think that there certainly can be negative reasons why consumers might want to buy a good from one place or another. But the idea of these country of origin marketing requirements that we've had for right, over 100 years is that uh, we're not going to inquire into why the consumer wants to use this information or not. Uh, really, the role of this structure of this regime, this legal structure, is that we give the consumer this information. Uh, we trust the consumer to come to their own purchasing decisions. We recognize that a purchasing decision uh, will involve all sorts of products. It will involve all sorts of situations. Um, and right, the geopolitical world will shift over time. There'll be all sorts of different concerns at different points in history. And so this is a really fluid uh, flexible legal structure for allowing consumers to make these decisions. Um, one interesting case about uh, country of origin markings uh, was decided in 1940. It was the Friedlander case that's discussed in the article. And specifically, it discussed what the appropriate country of origin should be for uh, products that had been made in Czechoslovakia uh, in the Sudetenland region. Uh, and the products were actually made when the territory, the, when the region was still uh, part of Czechoslovakia, and then it was annexed by Nazi Germany. And so the court in the United States decided that the appropriate country of origin should be Germany because that's where the products were shipped out of. Um, there was this delay between manufacture and shipping such that at the time the products were shipped, the fact that it said made in Czechoslovakia was then inaccurate. Um, and so that's one example of how country of origin information provided relevant information to a consumer about whether or not they wanted to support right or buy products coming out of Nazi Germany. Uh, and that information, the court decided, was in fact relevant, useful to the consumer, um, and should be provided and provided to them in an accurate manner. Yeah, I, I got to say that case really jumped out at me. 
reading the paper, especially because it seems like it was kind of a politically fraught decision at the time, given that not all the judges agreed with the reasoning. And and I, I, I can't help but wonder, like, to the extent that Czechoslovakia had been reason, recently annexed, surely a lot of consumers would know that, you know, it can't be coming from a country that doesn't exactly or fully exist anymore. And maybe the appropriate designation would be Sudetenland if we wanted to, you know, convey to consumers where the product was actually coming from for those kinds of politically laden reasons. Yeah. And there were some interesting dissents to that case where the judges really didn't agree about what the proper marking should be, uh, should how the time of shipping versus the time of manufacture decision, uh, what would most accurately describe to the consumer the nature of this product and where it came from. And so that was a more complicated determination that the court really grappled with in that case. Well, so let's talk about the practical sort of realities of what's going on here. What does or what should product marking look like? When are companies obligated to do it? And what happens if they get it wrong? Yeah, so it's it's something that importers uh, have to do for all imported products. Um, again, we talked about these types of products that don't have to be marked, but the exterior packaging has to be marked. Um, and if products are imported without uh, the appropriate marking, then they're subject to 10% additional duty for the value of the goods. Um, and that's in addition to all the other duties that uh, companies have to pay already on goods coming into the country. Um, and if somebody intentionally removes or defaces or destroys a marking, uh, that can actually result in criminal pen- penalties. So the penalty for that uh, at the time this article was written is up to $5,000 um, and or imprisonment for one year. And so there are penalties for failing to comply with these country of origin marking requirements. Uh, and customs does does take this quite seriously and they do enforce inaccurate country of origin markings. Uh, there are a number of enforcement actions described in the article where a product says it's made in one place, but actually it's made in another. Uh, And so in one instance, right, Customs settled a matter for $20 million in 1999. So that was quite quite a hefty penalty. Um, There have also been more recent enforcement actions. Uh, There was a a seizure that happened in 2017 where they seized um, 950 goods that were valued over $25,000. And that was an instance where the packaging was made in the USA and it was not, in fact, made in the United States. So does the fact that there are enforcement actions and that at least some manufacturers are engaging in false or misleading designation of country of origin suggests that at least the manufacturers think that this is salient to consumers, whatever it is that consumers happen to think. Yes, I think that that, in fact, is true. There are some instances where enforcement actions happen because things are inaccurately marked. And part of that is because we have preferential trade agreements. And so if goods are being shipped from a country and our products of that country where we have a preferential trade agreement in place, perhaps the 
company might be shipping it that way in order to pay lesser duties. But in cases where their enforcement actions and it's the inaccurate marking wasn't done to obtain lower duties coming into the country, I think that certainly in those cases, that is a really strong argument for uh, country of origin information affecting consumer purchasing decisions. So one thing I did have a question about was a kind of para-consumer protection concern, which is like, let's imagine a scenario where the prevailing belief of consumers is an erroneous idea that there's something wrong with goods coming from a particular country. So it's like, if you tell them it comes from there, then they're going to think there's something wrong with it, even even though there, there really isn't, right? Should we still want to be giving consumers that information? Or are there kind of countervailing policy concerns that we might take into account in terms of kind of thinking about the best interests of consumers? Yeah, I think that this scheme doesn't necessarily depend on consumers being perfect, being perfectly informed, uh, being infallible. I think the idea of this scheme is to provide the relevant information to the consumers and trust the consumers to make informed purchasing decisions. Uh, And again, there are a whole variety of products that this applies to, right? All imported products. Um, this uh, This applies to countries imported from all over the world. So certainly, I do think that consumers will have wrong beliefs, will make the wrong decisions. But the idea of this is not to police consumers uh, and not to uh, oversee their purchasing decisions. It's to provide them with information and then to trust the consumers to make informed purchasing decisions um, and to allow them to exercise their preferences based on the information given. Well, so the core of this paper is to recognize that that used to work really well, and now we've got some new problems arising in the internet age. What are those problems, and why doesn't the current regime necessarily uh, address them already? Yeah, so the whole point of the country of origin marking is that when I go to a store, I pick up the item off a shelf. I either look at the item itself or I look at the packaging. Uh, It has to be clear and prominent and I see where it's from, made in XYZ. Um, And if there's a designation like designed in or uh, envisioned in, right, you also have to put the country of origin information made in right next to it. uh, So you're not misled about where it comes from. So that's the idea, right? That I'm physically doing this in a store. But this doesn't work for online transactions because for online transactions, all I see is what the online retailer has put online. And usually it's not country of origin information. I see other details about the product. I learn about the product. Sometimes if the online retailer has decided to put that information on, I can see if it's imported or not. Um, Again, sometimes some retailers, I know Patagonia, has voluntarily provided this information, but many, many retailers do not. Uh, And so if I'm the consumer and I'm buying a product, I don't have this information that the country of origin marking scheme would provide me in a physical transaction in a brick and mortar store. 
And it doesn't provide me this information that was envisioned uh, by the drafters of this Tariff Act of 1890. So there's this real gap between physical transactions and online transactions where up until the time of uh, online transactions, with the exception of catalog and mail order sales, uh, I was provided country of origin marking information. And that's something I still have if I go to a physical store. But now for online transactions, that information just isn't available. And so this issue is becoming more and more important as our e-commerce sales uh, become a larger percentage of retail sales. Um, in particular, during the pandemic, uh, the percentage of online retail sales uh, has grown significantly. Uh, in the first quarter of 2021, uh, online sales were about 13.6% of total retail sales. Uh, that might drop off certainly as the pandemic uh, wanes, but even prior to that in uh, 2018, as described in the paper, online sales were still a pretty significant portion of retail sales. So just to clarify, I mean, historically, when it came to catalog and mail order sales, was country of origin designation required for the advertising and sale by that means or only only physically? And if, as I'm assuming, the answer is it was not required, did we see a problem? So it was not required. It was not required for most types of catalog and mail order sales. Uh, where it is required are for certain types of products like textile and wool products are one example um, where the FTC uh, governs disclosures related to those types of products. And in that particular context, the FTC does require that uh, while the particular country of origin doesn't have to be disclosed, a seller, uh, a catalog seller does have to state whether or not a product is domestic or imported. So generally for catalog sales, uh, there's no such requirement uh, that country of origin has to be disclosed. So there was also this gap historically for mail order sales and catalog sales, the same gap that exists for online sales. But I would argue that uh, Right. It's a gap that should have been addressed, uh, but I think perhaps was not addressed because of the fact that uh, it has not quite reached the level of retail sales that online shopping has. Uh, there's a I have a statistic in my paper that in 1995, it was three mail order sales constituted 3.7 percent of retail sales. Uh, and so. Right. The the pandemic numbers certainly are much higher than that. And so I think that whereas this gap existed and certainly could have been addressed for catalog sales, the real impetus for addressing this issue now uh, is the fact that more and more retail sales are happening through uh, online means. Well, so on one level, it seems like this might be a pretty easy fix, right? I mean, just tell online sellers, you got to tell consumers where the product comes from. Is it more complicated than that? Yeah. So there are certainly obstacles to mandating country of origin disclosures for online products. So the issue is not in determining where the what the country of origin for any single unit of a product is, right? Because companies already have to do that. Uh, there can be certainly different components from different countries that go into a single unit of a product. 
Uh, and it can be difficult to determine country of origin for those products there because there are a set of customs rules that help you determine that. Um, there's an idea of substantial transformation where a product gains this essential character is where it's a product of and minor manufacturing operations don't confer that essential character in that location. So it can take some, some time and effort and detective work to figure out where a single unit is sourced, but that work already has to be done by the manufacturer in order to stamp the product, label the product with the marking. The issue for the online retailer instead comes from a situation where you're producing units of a single good from different locations. So if you have a single web page, but different units of that product are coming from different countries, that's the real issue. Um, you'd have to come up with some sort of way of, of uh, tracking your inventory and segregating products that come from different places to ensure that uh, if a customer sees a web page with a product, and the information says the product is from a certain area, you have to be able to pull the stock and ensure that the product the customer is getting does in fact come from that country. So that's the, the issue where you have products, a single product type source from multiple locations. That can certainly pose difficulties for online retailers. And that's why online retailers are uh, currently opposing the legislation that's pending uh, related to this issue. So I guess part of me can't help but wondering if maybe we don't need something a little bit more finer grained. I mean, are there are there products for which country of origin is especially salient to consumers as you know as compared to products where maybe consumers are kind of indifferent, like where do my batteries come from? I mean, maybe some people care, I guess I don't really care that much. Or my like my 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 plates or something. You know, it's sort of plates or plates or plates. And as long as they're made right, then it doesn't really matter that much. Whereas some other kinds of products or, you know, products that are laden with meaning in some way, you know, it might make more of a difference. Like I, I want my American flag to come from America and not from somewhere else or something like that. Like, how should we think more holistically about this kind of legislation? And are, are there reasons or, or areas where we might be sort of more or less concerned about the amount of information that gets disseminated? Well, I think the most workable scheme is actually the situation or the, the scheme that is proposed, where consumers are given this information for all types of products. Because I think making a more differentiated system where some products are given country of origin information for some products, consumers aren't given that information. Uh, it would involve a lot of judgment calls and it would involve probably a lot of consumer confusion about understanding exactly where you can find country of origin information for what products and then for what products this information isn't disclosed. Um, and it would also it require a lot of value judgments about the individual consumer that require a lot of time and effort and are not really workable because what's important to you might not be important to someone else. Someone might have a commitment to buying American, for example, that someone else might not share. Uh, someone might want, 
you know, they might have a preference that someone else might not share. Somebody might have more of a human rights concern than someone else. Uh, I think country of origin information matters differently for different types of products, to different consumers. And so the scheme that was devised by the drafters of the Tariff Act of 1890 was really to provide consumers with this information as a whole, uh, just to have manufacturers and importers provide this information to consumers and then really allow consumers the freedom to do what they thought appropriate with that information. So in closing, Christine, as I understand it, this is a live issue right now. Maybe you could talk a little bit about sort of where things stand and if if you feel comfortable, like make some predictions or observations about what might happen in the near future with relation to these kinds of country of origin designations. This issue is currently in the news because uh, there is currently legislation pending in the U.S. House of Representatives. It's already been passed by the Senate. Uh, The legislation is the U.S. Innovation and Competition Act. And specifically what pertains to this issue is the country of origin labeling act. So essentially, this legislation would require um, country of origin disclosures for products sold online. And so the intent of this uh, proposal is really to um, equalize the information provided to consumers, whether they are shopping in physical stores or if they are if they are buying products online. Do you expect it to, to end up passing? Um, I'm not sure. Uh, I know that there has been some news coverage of that. Um, The Washington Post ran an article in May about uh, opposition by some online retailers, including Amazon, uh, to this this proposal. Um, And I know that there's also been an opposition letter uh, that has been drafted by a number of retailers and manufacturers. But this measure certainly does have some support uh, and it has Uh, the support of legislators, and it also has the support of U.S. industry groups. And I think certainly that this measure would provide some really valuable information to consumers. It would also bring the reality of online sales um, in alignment with what the drafters of this Tariff Act of 1890 intended um, and what is required and provided to consumers in the context of physical sales. Great. Well, Christine, thanks so much for coming on the show. You've really brought customs law to life for me in a way that I wouldn't have imagined. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. tax today I'm only one of millions more whose income never was taxed before a tax I'm very glad to pay I'm squared up with the USA 
see those bombers in the sky. Rockefeller helped to build them, so did I. I paid my income tax today. I paid my income tax today. I'm only one of millions more whose income never was taxed before. A tax I'm very glad to pay. I'm squared up with the USA. You see those bombers in the sky. Rockefeller helped to build and so did I. I paid my income tax today. Income tax today. I'm only one of millions more whose income never was taxed before. A tax I'm very glad to pay. I'm squared up with the USA. You see those bombers in the sky. Rockefeller helped to build them, so did I. I paid my income tax today.